uh, in, in eternity ago, I, uh, I used to be a baseball player, okay? And uh, when, when uh, I, was, I was a pitcher, so I spent a lot of times what they call the bullpen. That's way out beyond, beyond the fence. It's way out there. And when they need you, they, they uh, you know, call you in. And typically the manager, uh, here's, you know, he'll either go, I need, I need the right-hander that's warming up or I need the left-hander that's warming up, you know, and they'll signal uh, who they want to come in. Now they probably just text. I don't know. But anyway, so, uh, so uh, but it's really rough when, um, you know, when you're, uh, you're called to your bullpen and he says, well, I can't, I can't coach, I, you know, I'm injured or I got something going on or my wife's having a baby, right? And so then, okay, well, let's, anybody else back there that can, uh, that can pitch? So anyway, so all I, all I know uh, when you're a reliever and you come in, things are not going well for your team. We need a change. We got to do something. Someone's got to do the job, Mike. You know what I'm saying? Someone's got to do the job. And so when you're a reliever, you come in and you just throw strikes. The worst thing you can do is start going everywhere and people are walking and then it's a merry-go-round and then it stays too long and people get grumpy. So you just throw strikes. The only thing I know how to throw strikes, uh, to bring it, as you might say, Mike, uh, is to uh, stay close to the word, stay close to the word, and share something that's on your heart. So there you go. That's what you're going to get this morning. I read Psalm 95 uh, earlier, and uh, that's the psalm um, we're going we're gonna to talk about this morning, and, and I'll just share some thoughts, uh, what the Lord has, uh, has been working on me and sharing with me in this. Um, I, uh, my, my job, if, if uh, visiting here, my job uh, here is associate pastor, but uh, they, 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 uh, they let me hang out at the school, and I get to, I get to work at the school there, um, Grace Christian School, and, and uh, Every week we have uh, we have devotions twice a week for for faculty and and for staff and and so that's Monday mornings and then uh, and the Thursdays and Thursdays is is my time and I've been going through the Psalms, um, picking a Psalm each week and going through that with with uh, with my faculty and staff and a few weeks back I, I did Psalm ninety five and I'm like man I like that that would preach I think I said to everybody boy that'll preach there you go I guess. I guess I get the opportunity. So, uh, so uh, Psalm 95, it's fast becoming one of my favorites, and I hope that uh, this will at least intrigue you to invest more time into it, that it might be, might be one of yours as well. You know, it doesn't have a, uh, a listing as far as the author on there, and, uh, and David is not listed as the author, but the Septuagint, which is, uh, is the Greek translation of, of the Hebrew text of, of the Old Testament, uh, it puts puts David as the author author here, and it sounds an awful lot like like David, um, but not not exactly sure about that one. But it's it's uh, it's an amazing passage, and this psalm uh, calls us to worship God, does it not? Does it not? It it, it calls us to worship our uh, God. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the Rock of our salvation. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with a song of praise. Um, making a joyful noise, worshiping the Lord, praising Him is not a spectator sport. It is a participatory sport. You're supposed to be involved in this. It's supposed to be you that does this. It's supposed to be myself that does this. It's not, it's not listening to others necessarily do it. Um, and it's called to make a joyful noise to the Lord. 
It doesn't say a quality noise, does it? <laughs> it doesn't say it's got to be good or God won't accept it. It says make a joyful noise to the Lord. And, and for me, being an old geezer like I am, uh, one of the most joyful noises is hearing my little, my little granddaughter's giggle. And it's just, oh my goodness, it's so fun. And should that not be the Lord hearing us giggle or just joyful or just ecstatic, excited about the things that he's doing? That's what he calls us to. It says, this psalm acknowledges God as the rock of our salvation. Make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That's the foundation. That is solid. That is immovable. That is uh, where, we are, where we're all based it's, it's our salvation in the Lord. And that should motivate us and that should encourage us to just, just make a joyful noise to the Lord. Because when things are going tough, when, things are, when we're going through struggles, when we're challenged to the depth of our being, we've still got our salvation in the Lord. We've still got the rock to depend on. And that's what this psalm calls us to do. It tells us to, to enter his presence with thanksgiving in, in verse 2. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. When you, when you have conversations with the Lord, are you thankful? Do you come there with thanksgiving? Do you come there acknowledging that he is and has given you all that he has? And you're thankful for him? Is that, is that your, your, uh, your approach? This psalm is going to challenge our approach to the Lord. It's going to challenge our praise. It's going to challenge our worship of God. We're going to see that here really soon. But we are to make a joyful noise with thanksgiving, praising God. Praising God for his greatness. For his incredible greatness that he is. And then it goes on, it goes on to list as the, as the creator God. Uh, you see uh, there in verse 4, uh, his hands, the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains, the sea is made for his. His hands form dry land. And as I'm looking at this, things came to mind as I, as I thought of this, and I thought of worshiping the Lord, of, of praising the Lord in, for what he has done with, with these things. So let's take the depths of the earth. Uh, about two years ago, um, Lana and I and our son Tobin flew down to, to Arizona, and uh, we spent some time with, with my dad and family there and friends, and, and then we drove to the Grand Canyon. I had been there when I was a little kid. They had never been there, and if you haven't been to the Grand Canyon, uh, it's a worshipful experience. Let's just put it that way, and so I was so excited to bring them. They, they, you know, you've seen pictures. I mean, you know it's a big hole in the ground, okay? Everybody knows this, right? But you don't fully appreciate this. And so as we're driving in, you drive into the park, okay? And, and you kind of take, well, you can go to the left, but you want to take a right. And it's not far, and you go to the right, and it's trees. I mean, it's just gorgeous, nice pines and trees and stuff like that. And I was so excited to do this. I was so excited. I almost, I almost crashed the rental car because I was, I was really excited about it. So I, so, I, so I pull in, I go to the right, and then I cross the road. So I'm, I'm facing the wrong way, you know, on, on the street, but I... Don't really care at this point because I'm so excited about this. So I pull in there, and as soon as you, you come around this corner and you pull in, it opens up. The trees are gone, <laughs> and it's just like, and that's exactly their mouths were open. They're just like, and they just stand there in awe until I go, "Well, we think it's not bad, huh? Worth the drive, you know? It's just amazing. It's hard to describe." 
It's hard to describe the Grand Canyon. It, 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 it truly is awesome. It is incredibly awesome. And so they did not disappoint me. Uh, yes, even my sweetheart was speechless, but it wasn't long. But she was speechless um, and, and enjoyed that. Then it talks about the, the heights of the mountains. I mean, on a clear day here in Anchorage, it doesn't get a whole lot better, right? We can see Denali for crying out loud. I mean, from here. But I don't know about you, but do you find yourself driving around Anchorage and not noticing the mountains? Right? That is terrible. Why do we do that? There's no reason to do that. We should just be in awe as we drive around. It's incredible. It's amazing. We've got the depths of the earth, the Grand Canyon. It doesn't get a whole lot deeper. There might be some place. I don't know. But it doesn't get a whole lot deeper than that. And then you have the mountains that surround us. And you have Denali there, the, the great one. And that should motivate us to just uh, be in awe of God and praise him for his creative masterpiece that he has given us in the mountains. We should not take that for granted. I hope that words come out of your mouth the next time you drive and you see the mountains. Whether it's across the... Don't you love it across the inlet? Some days they look like they're like three miles away, don't they? I mean, they're just, the, the light is just so bright and it's just, just right and it's like, wow, they're right there. Well, it's, it's a long swim. Don't try it. Um, but it's just amazing and we need to, we need to tell the Lord when we, when we see the beauty, when we see those sunsets, when we see the mountains. Tell the Lord. Then the sea, massive bodies of water. And us as, uh, as proud, obnoxious Alaskans talking about our state, we realize that we have more coastline than the rest of the United States combined, right? There you go. All right. I said it. And so we got massive bodies of water. And if you spend any time on the sea, um, when you're down just a little bit in the swell and you can't see anything but water, and then you're on top and you see the, the actual the curvature, right? You can see the curvature of the ocean going. It's, it's in a pretty amazing, amazing thing. As I was uh, uh, reading this, this book one time, they talked about the 64 earthquake. I was not, I was not here, uh, the 64 earthquake, the 64 earthquake, and uh, it tells stories, uh, you know, of, of people's experiences during that. And there were people down in Seward, okay, Seward, Alaska, uh, Resurrection Bay, hopefully you're familiar with that. If you haven't been there, put it on your list and go, because that's an amazing thing. But Seward, Alaska, Resurrection Bay, just gorgeous. And, uh, and so the, the earthquake happens, and what happened to Resurrection Bay? Do you know? It, it emptied, didn't it? It emptied. It's 900 feet deep in some places, people. 900. And so it's empty, and the people in Seward are going, whoa, this is amazing. I have never seen Resurrection Bay empty before. This is incredible. This is amazing. And then they got to thinking, if it's going out, it's coming back. And so then it was get as high on the hills as you can. And thankfully in Seward, it's kind of easy to get high on the hills, isn't it? You know, that was, that was really one of the mountain marathons uh, that's not uh, listed there. But it really, you know, they got up. But, but how amazing is that? How amazing is that? That, that nine of, it is drained and it's coming back. You know, there was tons of devastation, and I don't mean to make light of that. I hope you know that. But, but uh, it's just the incredibleness of God's creation of the sea 
we get to see that all the time here in Alaska, all the time. We are, we are very blessed. And then the land, the land, the amazing beauty. And there's, there's so many things we could describe about the land. And as you, as you travel around, it's, it's just incredible. But all of these things should motivate us to, to worship the Lord, to praise the Lord. And, and right here, the psalmist is, is, uh, is bringing those out and saying, this should, should give you just uh, praise and glory to the Lord. When you see something like the Grand Canyon, Denali up close, Seward on a sunny day, how does that make you feel? To me, it makes me feel really, really small. I'm just like, oh, I am, I am so small, so insignificant to this massive grandeur that God has created for us. He doesn't count us as insignificant. We we read later on here, we are his sheep, but very small. But God that controls it all is very big, and I hope that motivates uh, your heart uh, as as it does mine. And so it talks about how we are to worship. I, I came across this as, as I was studying, and I, and I thought this was interesting. I'd never heard this before. This is from Warren Wearsby. Um, and he said, praise is looking up. Worship is looking down. Interesting. You, you read this, in the first part, it says, it talks about uh, singing songs of praise in verse 2. And then it shifts gears and it says, Oh, come let us worship and bow down. It says that we are to worship and bow down. Now, you know, Scripture talks about lifting holy hands in praise and worship. Fantastic. That's great. That's, you know, it talks about... Uh, you know, worshiping the Lord in humility and humbleness. And, and I had never realized, I had kind of taken them as synonyms. And they are related, but are they not different? Are they not different? And so as it, it says, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God. Okay? Kneel before the Lord our God. Is that just a figure of speech, you think? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think God very much intends us to kneel before him in worship. And when was the last time that you knelt before him in worship? That's the question I want to know. When was the last time in your prayer life, in your time with him, you actually knelt before the Lord in worship? And you're going, well, you know, it's not, you know, it's not all that, you know, becoming and, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit, uh, whatever. Uh, do cultures bow down to, to people? Does that happen in different cultures? It does, right? In a lot of different cultures. And usually it's someone that, uh, you are honoring. It's, a it's, a uh, a monarch. It's a, it's an elder. It's something, you know, very respectful. And so bowing down is a sign of respect. It's a sign of humility. It's a su- sign of submitting yourself unto someone, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what that is. And you bow down in respect. And I think we've, I think we've kind of lost it because in our culture, I'm going, man, I don't, I don't know many that bow down before him unless you're you know one of the hanyakers at a basketball game you know or football game or whatever you know but that doesn't count that's different but it's 
But I don't know that that happens in, in, our, in our culture. You know, are we too dignified to humble ourselves before the Creator God? I don't want that to be true about me. I don't want that to be true about me. Now, I'm not suggesting, I mean, feel free. If you want to kneel down during worship service, go ahead. But God's not interested in what we do in front of people. I talked to... Um, this was a girl in youth group years ago, and she she would uh, she would love to worship, and she'd raise her hands and and praise the Lord. And then I, I talked to her after she had been away for a while, and she came back, and I said, "How's it going?" She said, "No, nah, it's not going that well." And I said, "Really? What's going on?" She said, "Well, I I, I just decided I'm not, you know I don't really want to walk with the Lord. I'm not going to follow Him anymore." I'm like, "This is tragic." And the only thing that came out of my mouth is like, "What about?" Worshiping the Lord. What about lifting your hands? What about praising Him? You're like, well, caught up in the moment, you know. I'm like, wow. And so I prayed for her, and praise the Lord. She's she's come back to the Lord, and she's she's honoring Him and serving Him today. But God really, really doesn't care. Uh, how we present ourselves in front of other people. As a matter of fact, he tells us, and when we're praying, what are you not to do? Don't be, you know, right? Don't be praying for other people. Be pouring out your heart to the Lord. It's between you and the Lord. And so for you and for me, I just, I just ask us, when was the last time you actually knelt before the Lord and prayed and asked him, or was it when you really, really were heartbroken and when you really needed him, when your heart was just crushed and you had nothing else to do, so you fall on the ground and you pray before the Lord? We do that. I've done that. Is that the time we're going to kneel before the Lord our God, our maker? Something to think about. If you don't do it now, if you don't kneel before the Lord now, you will do it one day. You will do it one day. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Let's, uh, let's go there. I don't know that I'll uh, read the whole passage here, but Philippians 2. If you ever get to the place, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know what I'd say. I don't, I don't, I don't know how I would explain it. Can you remember something? Philippians 2, verse 1, and read. Can you do that? That's all you got to do. This is the gospel. This is it. You don't need to go anywhere else. It's right here. And, uh, and like I said, I'm just throwing strikes right down the pipe this morning. So let me, read, uh, let me read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Who is he talking to there? It's a good question. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count the equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Um, by the way, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, who's not included in that? I think that's everybody. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, we will bow down. And is this about humility? Yes, it absolutely is about humility. Was Christ coming to earth about humility? Yeah, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, right? He humbled himself and God exalted him. That's what God calls us to do. He wants us to live lives of humility. You aren't going to get that a whole lot in our culture. But that's what God calls us to, living lives of humidity. Humility, uh, unless you're in Arizona, then it's humidity. But anyway, uh, humility, because that's what Christ did, and he is our example. Uh, Jesus was in humble submission to his Father. And everyone will be humbled before Jesus one day. And everyone will confess him for who he is. And why do they do it? Why do they do it? Did you, did you get it? Why are we going to honor Christ? Why are we going to bow before him? Why are we in humility going to be submissive to him? Verse 11, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what, Je- that's what Jesus did. That's why he did what he did. It was all about his heavenly Father and bringing glory to him. And that's what we're called to do, to bring glory to our heavenly Father, just as Jesus did. Have you humbled yourself and accepted Jesus as Lord? Have you humbled yourself and accepted Jesus as Lord? What's the opposite of humility? Pride, right? Pride. Pride is a massive problem in humanity. Massive. We're called to humility. We are drawn to pride. God calls us to humility. Is your pride the thing that's keeping you from Jesus? Well, it goes on in, uh, in Psalm 95. And it says, uh, For he is our God, verse 7, We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We are his sheep. Do you remember that you are one of God's sheep? Do you think about that? I am a lamb of uh, a child of God. I am a sheep. I am. I, I belong to the good shepherd. I know who whose I am. That's that's where we're at. John ten talks about the good shepherd. I won't I won't read all of this, but uh, but John ten is where where Jesus tells us about the good shepherd. And let's uh, let's pick it up in verse. Uh, you can you can go back and, and read more. I would encourage you to. But let's pick it up in verse eleven. 
Uh, John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The Good Shepherd. Is there humility there in Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. He does it because he's obedient to his Father. That's why he lays down his life. That he wants to glorify his Father through his life and all that he does. And that's where he's at. It, it tells us that the sheep, uh, he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. They hear his voice. They've got it. Do you hear the voice of Jesus? Can you, can you hear it? How do, how do you know someone? If you're going to know someone, how, how do you know someone? You spend time with them, Right? You are interested in things they're interested in, or at least you pretend to be interested in things they're interested in, right? So you get to know. Okay, so you, you spend time, you invest, you, 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 you go there, and, uh, and that's how you get to know someone. Well, if we're going to know the Lord, we need to spend time with the Lord. We need to spend time with him and his word. Can you, if you're to hear someone quoting scripture, or you're to hear a preacher, or you're to hear someone on, on the internet or on, on the radio or whatever, and it's not according to God's word, it's not God's truth, it's different than this, can, can you hear it? Do you hear it? Do you hear the truth? Do you get it? You go, whoa, 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 whoa wait, wait, wait a second. That, that's, I don't think that's right. I'm going to go back and look, but I don't think that's correct. That's what we need to be. That's sheep hearing his voice. We, we know. We can tell. We, we understand. And he, uh, in order to know Christ, you need to schedule it. You need to spend time in it. It must be a priority. I was telling uh, Sunday school class this morning, uh, uh, there's really only one reason um, why why you don't um, why we don't spend time with the Lord, and that's uh, uh, it, it isn't because we we don't have time. Uh, if we say we don't have time, that's an excuse. And like I told my kids, ever since they uh, they were growing up, excuses are excuses. That's what they are. They're nothing else. They're just an excuse. And so, the only reason you don't have time for the Lord is because you don't make it a priority. You don't make, you don't do the time. That's it. That's the only reason. That's, we got nothing else. To, we got nothing else to go on. We find time for what's important to us. We find time for what's important to us. What, what kind of time does that mean? I don't know. Figure that out. But there's only one reason you're not taking time with the Lord. It's because it's not important enough to you. 
You haven't scheduled it and you haven't made it. We need to do this. We need to know the good shepherd. We need to understand who he is and we need to hear his voice. Jesus laid down his, uh, his life in obedience to the Father. You know, um, if we go back to Psalm uh, 95, verse 7 says, For he is our God, we are the people of his pastures, the sheep of his hand. That last line in verse 7, Today if you hear his voice. It's again, the sheep hearing his voice. We need to be in tune with our shepherd. We need to be in tune with the one, one who is speaking. If today uh, you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in Meribah and as on the day of Massa in the wilderness when your father put me to the test. Um, the uh, Hearing his voice, we need to understand God's word. We need to understand Christ. We need to understand what he's speaking to him, to us. So the only way to do that is to spend time there and to get, get so familiar with God's word you can understand when it's not accurate. The hardness of heart there in, in verse 8, uh, do not harden your heart as in uh, Meribah and Massa. This was, this was the wilderness. This was Moses, um, and uh, he gave names to these places so that they would remember uh, what it's talking about, uh, Meribah and Massa. Uh, Meribah means rebellion, quarreling, contention, uh, that, that sort of thing. Uh, Massa means testing, okay, place of testing. If you turn back quickly uh, into to Exodus 17, I'm not going to read uh, all of this, but, uh, but I'll tell you a little bit about, uh, we'll just kind of summarize a little bit about what, what we're talking about. So a review of Exodus. Um, so Moses and Aaron... Um, they come and uh, they're facing Pharaoh. We got the ten plagues. You guys are familiar with this. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, we're there. okay. We got the ten plagues, and number ten was death of the firstborn. Correct? Okay, death of the firstborn. The Passover was instituted there. The lamb, right, was slain for the people, and uh, and so that that all happened there um, there in uh, in the beginning of Exodus. And um, when they uh, when they left. Uh, the, uh, God, God told the people of Israel, he said, don't just, don't just leave, but ask them for things, right? Ask them for gifts, ask them for gold, ask them for silver, ask them for rings, you know, ask them for, for jewels, for, for precious things. And so they were obedient and they did. And they said, after their firstborn in every household had died, they were like, get out of here. Well, how about some gold? Sure. Take it. Gold, silver. Yeah. Take it. So yeah, take it, take it. Just, just, just go, just get out of here. And so God instituted that, and he said, in that way, they plundered Egypt, okay? Egypt was the ruling power, was, was the place to be uh, a citizen of, and they plundered it. Not in a deceitful way. They gave it to them. And so they, they, they went off and did that, and God used that, used that later, as we know. So they plundered it, and uh, so, they, so they're going, and uh, they're leading. God is leading by a pillar of cloud uh, during the day, correct? And a pillar of fire at night, all right? That's who he's leading. So we go there. They get to the Red Sea. They come. Uh, Pharaoh goes, those dirty, rotten scoundrels, they tricked me. I'm going to go get them. I want them, right? So he goes, his whole army... And so he's coming with his army. They see him coming, and the uh, the uh, the cloud pillar, the pillar of cloud, 
goes from in front of them, behind them, and separates them from Pharaoh's army, right? Pharaoh's army can't find them. They're twisted around in the cloud. If you've been snow machining in Alaska and you've seen all white, you understand, oh, yeah, it's real easy to get turned around and not have any ideas of where you're going, right? So, uh, so Pharaoh's army, no idea where they're going. They just stayed there, pillow there, crossed the, uh, the sea, right? Crossed the Red Sea. And then lifted the, God lifted the cloud, and what happened? Pharaoh's army comes, they go in, the middle of the sea, then here comes the sea, and it's gone. Think about it. The mightiest military force on the planet destroyed in one, in one swoop. Destroyed, right? And so they're sitting there, on the, and they're like, the Egyptians are dead on the banks, and they're just going, this is absolutely incredible. This is amazing. Wouldn't, that, uh, wouldn't you be worshiping the Lord then? You know, Moses sings his, his song of worship there. But So the mightiest army is destroyed, and they go across, and uh, a, a few days later, I think it was like six days later, whatever, they get to a place called uh, Mara, and the water is bitter. And so they were grumbling, bitter water, it's terrible. You know, they couldn't drink it. And so uh, Moses throws a log, right? God tells him, throw this log in the, in the river. I don't know the symbolism about that. You'll, you'll have to ask Rob Annett, and he'll, he'll, he'll let you know. But anyway, so he throws the log into the water. The water's not bitter anymore. It is clean. They can, they can drink it. They can, they can uh, take care of uh, you know, their, their cooking and all that sort of stuff with the water. So he cleans the water up. And then, and, and there is a reason why I'm listing these out. I think, you, I think you'll get it here in a minute. So then um, they, uh, it's the feeding of the people. And so, they, so they, he brings manna down from heaven, right? Brings manna down from heaven, and it, it covers the ground in the morning, and they uh, gather it up, and they are to, uh, they are, everybody's, to get, uh, everybody's to get an omer of, uh, of manna for each person in their, in their family. I don't know what an omer is, but, you know, sounds like a lot. I, you know, anyway, it sounds pretty good. So they gather that up, okay? So they got the manna from heaven. Manna means... What is it? Okay, which is, you know, it's pretty good. They, they had seen nothing like this. They, they knew that. So before he gives manna from heaven, now, now so he, he destroyed the army, destroyed all that. Let's go to um, Exodus 16, verse 2. Look at this. This is what we're talking about. So they've come through the sea. He's just destroyed uh, Pharaoh. The, you know, the, they've, they've got the, the fresh water at, at uh, uh, there at, Mara, and so here we go. Verse 2 of chapter 16. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, What would we have died in the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. Really? You're sitting by meat pots and you got bread to the full. So it's just like a big camping trip. Is that what it is? You're slaves. You're slaves. And they were, the Egyptians were beating you, telling you you need to produce more. And they took away the straw and you had to go to the straw and make more bread, right? You're slaves. And yet the rebellious, hardened heart thinks, man, it was so good. Oh, those were the days. 
Those were the days. Pots of meat full, bread, as much as you wanted. Those were the days. So he brings down manna and puts it out there. And you could only, you could only get one omer per person uh, per day. And so you ate it and, and you know, and you ate, ate it all, right? And you didn't, you weren't supposed to, to keep, you weren't supposed to gather more than an omer for people and keep it for the next day because it would spoil. It would get worms and, and maggots and, and stuff in there. So you didn't, you don't want to do that. Sorry to say maggots, but you know, that's, that's what it was. And so you weren't supposed to keep any more than, than uh, what, you were, what you were allotted for that day. And the next day it would come, right? And the next day it would come. Well, some people said, I got a great idea. God, you know, God's got a great idea. Sure, man, is great and everything. But maybe, uh, maybe I should just, you know, maybe we'll, maybe I'll give it a little extra. And so, sure enough, stinks, maggots, you're not eating it, you throw it away. Except... The day before what? The Sabbath. What are you supposed to do? You get two omers each. And you can keep it on the Sabbath, and it doesn't get maggots, and it doesn't get worms, and it doesn't stink. And you can eat it on the Sabbath, and you don't have to work. It's almost like somebody planned this whole thing. And the daily, daily going out and getting provision from the Lord, daily, was God's intent. That's what he wanted. He gives us enough faith for each day, right? He gives us e- each, each day. That's what it's supposed to be. It's daily dependence upon the Lord. That's why he does it that way. Because he knows us. Because we wouldn't, we wouldn't work real well with something where we got too much. And so that's what he did for Israel and and, uh, you know, they still tried to, to do better than God. They still tried to figure it out. They still thought, well, God doesn't really exactly have, have, uh, have it in store. So I'm going to be smart and I'll gather a little extra, save it. Do we do that? Do we do that? Where in your life are you saying, God, I, I got this one figured out? I'll, 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 I'll take a little and just, just make sure I got it. Because I don't want to get too close to the edges, you know, whether it's money or whether it's belongings or whether it's whatever it is in your life. I don't know what it is. God is interested in daily us seeking him. Daily. That's why he set it up that way. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he did here. In Deuteronomy 1, we won't, we won't go there, but, uh, but they came to the promised land and uh, they sent out the spies, right? Twelve spies. I would sing the song, but you don't need to hear that. So, uh, but twelve spies went. Ten were bad, and two were good, right? For you, you grew up in the seventies or whatever. Okay. So, um, so the the spies told that we can't do this. There's giants in the land. We can't go there. There's giants in the land. Oh, it's amazing land. It's flowing with milk and honey. They got, they got grapes the size of grapefruits. They got you know, fruit all over the place. It's an amazing land. It's wonderful. It's incredible. It's amazing. We can't do it. There's giants in the land. Did you forget what God just did with the army? Did you forget? Yes. 
They forgot. So even the daily provision of manna each and every day, and when they grumbled and complained, he gave them quail, he gave them meat, and they, they went out. But it's this pattern of complaining about your situation where you're in because you don't remember what God has done in your life. And basically, that's my plea for us this morning. People, would you please remember what God has done for you? Please write it down. Think back. Remember what God has done for you. That's what, we, that's what we need to do. And what I want you to do right now, this is probably going to be the longest 30 seconds of your life, but 30 seconds, I just want you to think and remember what God has done for you in your life. Just think, your life. Think for 30 seconds. What has God done for you in your life? Write it down. Remember. (laughs) Take more time than 30 seconds. God has been faithful to you in so many ways. Does that mean you haven't had struggles? No. But where has he been with you in the struggles? Right? When, When they were wandering around in the wilderness, okay? When they were wandering around, um... Because of their rebellion, they didn't get to go in the land. They wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, right? If, if I remember correctly, their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. I, I, I told my staff, that, that might, you might think that's the worst curse ever, that your shoes don't get to wear out, and so you don't get to buy new ones. That might, that might, you might have to work on that one with God. But, so God provided for them manna and water and, and quail and, and their clothing and all this stuff. He provided for all these years, provided for them, and they still had hard hearts. And he still provided for them in the midst of their hardened hearts. God provided for them. And so we have to remember. We have to remember God's faithfulness to us. Even through the challenging times, we need to remember God's faithfulness. Uh, the, 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 his faithfulness to us. So, verse 9, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. They had seen their work. They knew, God, they knew what God had done. They walked through this. They had experienced it. They, they, they knew that God was faithful to his word and did what he says, and they still were disobedient. And it says... Uh, do not, your fathers, put me to the test. Do not put God to the test. That basically is a prideful thing. Asking God a sincere question, that's a different story. Putting God to the test, that is a prideful thing. Really, who do we think we are to put God to the test? And so, learn from those around you. Learn from people around you. Learn from what happens to, to the Israelites here at at Mara and Massa, what and and so uh, Meribah and Massa. Hopefully, we will learn these things, and we will remember what God has done to them, and it, and we won't have to go through that same thing. We need to remember what what God has done. We need to have some sort of memorial that helps us remember what God has done. 
So they didn't enter God's, uh, God's rest, uh, God, but he took care of them anyway. And, uh, and verse 11 talks here, Therefore I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Um, people who go astray in their heart will not enter the Lord's rest. Um, Hebrews 4, let's, let's quickly jump to Hebrews 4. We've been going through Hebrews. There's Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Again, we won't read the whole thing here, but... Um, let's go... Um, yeah, let me go in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, uh, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works that God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Um, so this is, this is talking about uh, entering into God's rest and, and for... For Psalm 95, for the Hebrews, they're talking about the promised land, right? They're talking about the promised land. For us, we're talking about, are we talking about rest on this earth? Yes, but we're talking about eternal rest. We're talking about Sabbath rest in heaven one day with the Lord. That's, that's what we're talking about. But you will have rest in, in the Lord if, if you pursue him. Okay? It, is, it is a now, but it, is, but it really is speaking towards, towards the future there. And so here we're talking uh, a little bit about the rest, but look at this verse 12 of, uh, of Hebrews 4. Um, verse 11 again, uh, Therefore let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word exposes our sinfulness and allows us to enter God's rest. The reason we understand the sinfulness of our heart, the reason we understand our heart's condition is because the Holy Spirit's speaking to our heart and mind through his word and we understand who we are before God. That's that's what this is about. That's what he's calling us to here. Again, Psalm 95 is talking about the promised land to them people. But, but for us here on earth, it is, it is resting now in the Lord. Yes, it absolutely is. But it's more than resting now in the Lord. It is eternity, Sabbath rest with God. And that's what he calls us to. So I guess my question for us uh, here, here wrapping up is... Uh, is will you really trust the Lord for who he says he is? Do you really trust that he has what's best for you in mind? Young people, do you really trust that he has a spouse for you? Older people, do you really trust (laughs) that he is at work with you and your spouse? (laughs) Do you really trust that he has... Uh, what your job is, what your future is. Do you, do you really trust him for that? Do you really trust that through the challenges and struggles and the heartache of this life, God is at work? 
coming out of Egypt, they, they had to come out of Egypt. That's not necessarily the most exciting trip in the world. As a matter of fact, it's a little too exciting, right? That's, there's a lot of challenges there. That's, they did get hungry. They did get thirsty. There were challenges there. But are you trusting that God is going to see you through those? Do you believe he is who he says he is? This psalm helps us get our hearts right. It helps us to praise him, and it helps us to worship him for who he is. And I hope and pray that you will take the time to worship the Lord. And uh, like I said, this has become one of my favorite psalms. So if you don't know where to start, Psalm 95 is a good place to start. Pray with me if you would.